Welcome to the Unstoppable Recording Machine Podcast. And now your host, Eyal Levy. Welcome to the URM Podcast. Thank you so much for being here. It's crazy to think that we're now on our fifth year, but it's true. And it's only because of you, the listeners. And if you'd like to see us stick around for another five years, there are a few simple things that you can do that would really, really help us out. And I would be endlessly appreciative. Number one, share our episodes with your friends. If you get something out of these episodes, I'm sure they will too. So please share us with your friends. Number two, post our episodes on your Facebook and Instagram and tag me and our guests too. My Instagram is at audio, And let me just let you know that we love seeing ourselves tagged in these posts. Who knows? We might even respond. And number three, leave us reviews and five stars, please, anywhere you can. We especially love iTunes reviews. Once again, I want to thank you all for the years and years of loyalty. I just want you to know that we will never ever charge you for this podcast and i will always work as hard as possible to improve the episodes in every single way possible all i ask in return is a share post and a tag now let's get on with it hello everybody welcome to the urm podcast this is a cool episode today it was a very last minute thing literally had less than 24 hours warning but how could i say no colin Britton, who is a longtime contributor to URM, Nail the Mix guest, podcast guest, and friend of mine hit me up and asked if I wanted to do an episode with his co-producer, Nick Furlong, and the one and only Jacoby Shaddix from Papa Roach, vocalist, you know, the one and only. Of course, the answer was yes. They happened to be working on a new record in a house in California and were all together one afternoon, and we just talked for an hour, and it was a great conversation. So I present to you Colin Britton, Nick Furlong, and Jacoby Shaddix. Nick Furlong, Colin Britton, and Jacoby Shaddix, welcome to the URM podcast. Glad to be here, man. Good to be here, bro. Pleasure to talk to you guys. So before we get into anything, I'm just kind of curious, how did you guys meet and decide to start working together? Oh, so we... uh we're looking for new producers to work with at the time, and there was a short list of guys that we wanted to work with, and, our, and the criteria was we want to see what's up with the young bucks in the business. And so Nick and Colin were on that list, and I remember I got a couple tracks from each of the guys, and I checked them out, and I was like, all right, well, let's get in a room with these cats and just kind of see, you know, where things go. And we got into the room. We came down to North Hollywood at the steakhouse, got in the room, and it was just like fucking magic. It, it was awesome. We wrote a song that day called My Medication, and we left the sessions just buzzing. And when it came time to make the decision to uh, decide who was going to make the record, it was just unanimous in the band. You know, we, uh, we decided we got to go with that young blood. And these dudes are, I'm so glad that we've partnered up and, and started creating together because it's been an awesome relationship. And we've been building it over the last like six years now. Yeah. Yeah. Five, six years. And so, and it's cool. It's, all, it's fucking amazing. It's my, it's my boys, man. It's my yeah. family. Did you kind of feel like uh, maybe going with someone who, when you said you wanted to see what the young bucks were up to, do you think that if you were going with like maybe one of the usual suspects from like the older generation of 
you know, amazing producers, but older generation that did you feel like maybe that might get stale or might get uh, or might be more of the same? Absolutely. Okay. That was that, that was the thing. We just kind of felt like it was like we just started to sound like the rest of the bands on the active rock chart. And we really felt we were like, all right, that's I mean, that's cool. And we can keep catering to that. But it just feels like we're going to pigeonhole ourselves into this paint ourselves into a corner that's miserable. And, you know, when we went in to start writing for this for that record, Crooked Teeth, the whole M.O. was like, it's time to flip shit up especially in the in the space of a uh, new metal was kind of being celebrated again by bands like Bring Me the Horizon and of Mice and Men yep. you know we were reading interviews and they were like oh those were our early inspirations and so it made us kind of take a look back at the, our earlier selves and Nick and Colin were young young dudes when we were dropping those records and so it just felt right like these dudes got this fresh idea some of these older producers it's like you come in and you're like all right let's try this we want to fucking put the guitar on top of the piano and fucking put a mic inside the piano and throw the guitar at the wall and see what sound that is. And they'd be like, that's never been done before. And it's like, well, and fuck we're it, not gonna whatever, do it. dude. Yeah, it's just jaded. And I'm like, fuck that, man. I want to bounce off the walls and have fun like I was fucking 18 again. And that's what we've been doing for, for the last five years. Yeah, I think it's really interesting when bands change their sound but still sound like themselves. It's interesting because... I feel like there's some element of a risk involved, but then it's also a risk to just do the same thing over and over and over. I guess it's all a risk when you come down to it. Absolutely. Linking up with Nick, Nick Nick works in a lot of different projects, a lot of different spaces, you know, EDM, rock, pop, hip hop. Colin, you're on the alt, rock, folk, indie kind of tip. And so it's like these these spaces coming together that for P Roach, we're willing to just dive into all those territories. Cause it's like, fuck, we got a career, man. We keep doing the same dribble, but fuck, I'm too old for that shit. So I'm curious for Colin and Nick, when you guys get approached by a band that's established, like long-term established and is known for certain things like Papa Roach, for instance, um, do you guys approach it the same way as if, you were working with a baby band? Like, is it still the same creative process? Or are you taking into consideration the fact that there's this legacy, basically? Yeah, I mean, I think that, like, at the time when we met Papa Roach, like, it was, because, like, you know, that's five years ago now. So we were just, as artists and as creators, much greener and, and didn't have as much experience. So to be able to have a band so sure of themselves as to what they did, that actually helped us grow Maybe even more than we helped them, in a in a weird way. What do you What do you mean by grow? Well, well, because like when you work with a baby band, and I don't personally work with a ton. I get hit up all the time by younger bands who who maybe just got signed or like they're trying to get signed or something. And a lot of times, it's not the first thing that I'm drawn to because I like personally working with artists who at least know who are on their like second or third record or even longer in these guys' case because they know what their audience is, they know what they're doing, and I can just add and sort of mold that already working, well-oiled machine into something even better, as opposed to, you know, like producers, no matter how good they are, don't have all the answers. And that's a misconception, like in the in the business now. I feel like you know you see all these producers who have like producer handles, for example. You know, you hear like 
it's so and so like they dropped a little sample at the top. It's a big thing in hip hop and stuff. And these guys go out thinking that they're rock stars. And the truth is, is like producers are not supposed to be rock stars. They're supposed to be enablers of rock stars, basically like helping create and you know push that boundary forward. And so you got to have that respect to work with a band like like Papa Roach or you know a Day to Remember or Bring Me the Horizon. You got to have respect for that. And uh, and that's why there's I feel like a separation between some of the super young guys who don't know really how to work with a band like this, you know. So to answer your question, I think that it's I think it's it is a different energy. It's a more of a respect thing, you know. And there's already a machine that you and a and an audience you have to keep an eye on. So there is there's a slightly different process. Yes, I think so. Yet at the same time, you're pushing the art to places that it's never been before. Right. So that's that's kind of like. That's an interesting line to walk, I think. Yeah, dude. I know for me personally, I think when when the situation came up and we had talked about working together, personally, I was really excited about it, man, because it was an opportunity to take something that had already amassed a really large following and sort of to reestablish their identity and figure out, okay, well, like this is who you are and this is who you've been, but it doesn't seem like you guys have taken a look in the mirror in a really long time and sort of done this who are we as an artist, as a band, as a, an energy, as an entity? What is our brand and what are we doing? What is the trajectory of what we're trying to do? And when we linked up, there were a lot of conversations about, man, this is the idea for like the layout of the first record. And then we could gotta go like a little more experimental with the second one. And then by the third one, we just are like, we, we just kind of strategized and came up with all these plans mm-hmm. to really build around them and said like, you know, made suggestions where we saw fit. Like, dude, you guys should maybe try to come up with a, a different logo that appeals to a broader audience. Or dude, you guys are like, some of these these songs that you're doing are so sick, but like, let's just reimagine them with some different influences from different spaces that typically wouldn't be used. And I loved how like, you know, part of what Jacoby and Colin were talking about as well is like, I think with the older and more seasoned producers, they kind of have a a system down with the way that they do things and they've been doing it so long that it becomes kind of clockwork to them. And I think with us, we're still kind of finding our feet, especially at the time when we met and initially started working. So it was very mutually beneficial in that we didn't really know what we were doing. So we were willing to take way more risks and they were also just, you know, seasoning us and we were getting so much experience. Like it's kind of like learning how to swim by just jumping in the ocean. It's the best way. Yeah, exactly. So for me, dude, like I had no experience working with a seasoned veteran band. Like it was so terrifying, but at the same time, exciting. Cause you know, I I just was like, wow, there's so much opportunity here for growth and so much potential to just do something loud and different and make a little bit of um, a scene in the space of rock. So I'm curious, Jacoby, what made you trust them? Like, <laughs> do, I, do I trust them? Is that what <laughs> good, you're ensuing? Good question. No. You know, I think it was after that first session, it was just like, it, we all left, the band left, and we were buzzing in the car. We're like, fuck, dude, it's like being in the room with the young us, mm-hmm. you know? And it was just so refreshing. And, you know, as we get out there and we tour, it's like you just become jaded a bit by the business. And it was like, this young excitement that was that was around us was just it was infectious and that 
that for us, we're like, all right, we got our squad here. Let's go in here and do this. And it was definitely like, all right, we're taking a leap of faith here with this. Even our record company was unsure of, of us making this move. But it's like when the band really feels something in their gut, you got to go after it. And that's very important. I think it's, you got to trust your intuition in this thing. And we've done that since the beginning of our career. And then, you know, after being in it for a while, it's like you kind of just, you know, we found ourselves all kind of going through the motions a little bit, you know, and I just felt like it was time to switch shit up. And, and in that leap of faith, fortunately, we've found, you know, two producers, collaborators that are just, they understand us, we understand them, and they push us. You guys push us, straight up. It's like sometimes I'm totally uncomfortable. I'm like, fuck, what? Yeah, we did really? that yesterday. We did that yesterday yeah. on a song that totally. was like, you know, and that's the, the, thing, the great thing about a band like this, you know, is that they're willing to, you know, put the piano inside the microphone and throw a guitar. Like, we were going to do this one thing where we, we still haven't done it, and yeah, I'd love to, to do that, but we, we literally want to, uh, like, light two guitars on fire and plug them into an amp and record yes, the amps yes. and then and then sword fight with the guitars. Yes. And here's the thing. The the <laughs> this is the thing that I would encourage like younger producers to do, not light your house on fire, but but like you know, <laughs> but like but <laughs> I mean, and here's another yo, I'm going to give you I'm going to give you two two examples. So there's that we haven't done that yet. The last record we were doing at the same place that we did the first record at, and it was my old room. You've been there, Al. I know at the Steakhouse in North Hollywood. I've since moved to my to built another studio, but like we were kind of like feeling about halfway through the record. I remember Jacoby mentioned he was like, "Man, you know, it'd be sick if we did a record in Malibu," because I think we were all kind of like pent up. We've been at the same place for like a month, and 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 of course everyone was like, "Well, fuck, why don't we just?" bring the beach to us. So I remember we called the record company and we're like, hey, we need an extra $5,000 like tomorrow like tomorrow in the budget. And they were like, what for? And we we're like, just miscellaneous recording <laughs> costs. And we literally, we literally called, Nick called a sand company, like a beach sand company. And they went out and a the next day, literally a dump truck full of beach sand came into the parking lot dropped off in the parking lot. We hired some dudes to freaking smooth it out. And then we rented beach chairs, a fire pit, had like a tiki bar. Yeah. And we literally for like six weeks had beach parties every single day in the parking lot of the studio. And uh, we'd also do like a ring around the rosies at night. Like yeah. we'd have a campfire and someone would play guitar and we would all like take turns singing a different pop song with the same melody over the same chords. And whoever couldn't come up with a pop song would end up like having to drink or something like yeah, that. Yeah, <laughs> and you just and by but my point is is but and like another thing we're we're gonna do this time is there's this one part on a song we're actually tracking today. We're we're staying in a and for those of you who don't know we're staying in a beach house basically in San Luis Obispo like on the coast to there you go the San Bispo, yeah Obispo San Luis Obispo in, in uh, yeah and we're, and we're gonna go down we're gonna go down the beach and literally Titanic style like record on the beach in the wind and all that and the it's not that that sounds better it's none of that shit it's just those memories being plugged into that creates so much energy under the surface that can manifest itself into something great later. And if you just take the time to live your life a little bit and not just do everything in the fucking bedroom, you know what I mean? It just, 
and these guys are willing to do that, which is fucking cool. Bro, so after this speech, I might even wrap my arms around you so yeah. delicately yeah, and yeah, watch yeah. the wind blow yeah. through your hair. <laughs> yes. Yeah. You think that studio life can be contrary to living real life and you have to impose that on it or it just becomes clinical and I think it used to be. But now working with these cats, it's like we just step out the box and have a lot more fucking fun with it. It's like, here's the deal. It's like making records felt sterile for a while mm -hmm. and clinical. And now it's like we're making records with the homies. It feels like I was hooking up with my bros and making records, but it's like these dudes are fucking super pro. To add to that, I feel like, you know, because I'm I'm probably more, these guys are new to the URM community. Mm -hmm. I'm obviously a veteran with you guys. I've been doing it for a while. So I watch and I keep and I keep in with the community and I understand like people ask me questions a lot and and I, I keep up with the posts and I, and I see what other people are posting about and I read that stuff even if I don't comment on it. And I'm, you know, everybody is like, there's a consensus that it all has to be about you know, the right plugins or the right, you know, what are you doing with that kick drum and why is it all meticulous and all that stuff? And the truth is, is nobody really fucking cares. Like the best songs we've ever written or produced have happened in a blink of an eye and done all the wrong ways. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Like with the wrong sounds, out of phase kick drums, all that bullshit, just because we didn't have time to throw it up. And then, you know, you can fix it later to make it tighter or whatever if you want. You know, we all know how to use Pro Tools. It's just that, it the energy store. This is the one thing I would stress about, like to your list to to listeners, is like who are producing and, and writing and all that stuff. Is like it does not matter. The technical shit doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if it's on an iPhone. It doesn't matter if it's on a fucking ten thousand dollar fucking C eight hundred mic. It doesn't matter. It's just is the vibe there? Is every and, and the vibe starts with energy with people. It's communication. It's it's love. It's all the right energy. And if you don't have the right energy, then you're literally like, it's like building a house with, like on sand. Yeah. Like what's the point if the energy's yeah. off? Your yeah, fucking foundation is going to, you know, crumble. I feel like that. your, your lifestyle kind of has to be conducive to your creativity if you're going to be a creator. So like if, you know, like I think that if you're putting yourself in a box and metaphorically, I'm saying a studio room with no windows and it's dark or it's light or it's whatever the fuck color lights you have. And you're sitting in there for hours at a time. Mentally, that's not great for you. Uh, it's actually bad for you. It's yeah. horrible for yeah. you. Yeah. So like getting out and being in like, we're in a bedroom right now with like all of our, you know, Colin's got tons of his gear. We got keyboards, guitars, and like, we're just sitting here in a bedroom. And this is like what I used to do when I was 16. So it's no wonder that I feel in my element, I feel inspired and creative. I have the same drive I had when I was a kid because I'm in that same setting doing it with my friends. I, it doesn't matter that I'm 34 because in my mind, I'm the same kid in my bedroom making music with my friends. You know, what's interesting is, Colin, what you said to the community of, and especially people who care about the wrong things is, I wonder if the way that people learn these days, they skip that part of making music with their friends. Like I feel like a lot of people do. They they go straight from not doing anything to just by themselves in the bedroom forever. And I feel like that's a pretty crucial piece of creating great music, at least in these heavier rock-oriented genres. That's kind of missing. The rock stuff is so like sterile. 
in a lot of ways, like heavy, especially the heavier, heavier rock, mm-hmm. it's just way more sterile and it's not as fun. And that, and you know, there's no, re, there's a reason that like I think hip hop music is the number one consumed kind of music, like genre wise in the world. And like that's why all the cool kids, like that's why you hear it at all the parties. And it's because it's fun. It's and, and a lot of people will be like, it sounds the same and it might sound the same. But the thing is, is that it's fun and it comes from a place of like when you do a hip hop session, dude, those guys go so fast. Like those guys go literally a hundred times faster than we go. And we go pretty fast. You know what I mean? So it and it's all because it's like, well, shit, I'll make 10 songs and then we'll pick the one that fucking feels the best. And it's all about vibe and it's not really about like, you know, uh, cerebral thinking. So like that's the thing that people don't, really in the rock business, they get too into this whole like, oh, it's sterile. And then, you know, I was having a, on, to pivot on that, I was having a conversation. This kid was asking me the other day, a URM member about how like, you know, should I move out of like my, you know, place that I live in the middle of Ohio or something, it's cheaper here to live. Should I move to Nashville or LA or, you know, New York or Miami or one of these music cities? And I was like, of course, <laughs> of course you should. <laughs> Well, we don't really need that because we have Zoom and I can get clients online. And I'm like, okay, well then, what's going you wouldn't on with be, that? If, if, yeah, how's that going for you? Because, and it's not because LA is like, yeah, it's more expensive and all that stuff. But the real reason is, is because when you move to these places in non-pandemic area, of course, when people are you know more communicating and meeting in person. Yeah. Yeah. But like in normal times, if you go to a city like this, you know, Papa Roach came to LA. Like that's the reason we met is because I had a studio in LA, Nick lives here, Jacoby and the guys come down there because that's where they go to to write music. Cause that's, they go live in different areas and stuff. And they're like, let's go to LA. That's where all the producers are. And you're going to meet people like Jacoby or like whoever. And you never fucking know. Like we thought that that session five years ago was going to be, I was nervous as shit. I was just like, I'm a big fan. Like, fuck. Like, but you know, hey man, best case scenario, we'll write a cool song and we'll get a cool writing credit. And the next thing you know, like literally a month later, Tobin, the bass player, is calling me up going, Hey man, you guys want you guys ready to do this record? And we're like, What? Seriously? So like, yes, like you you have to put yourself in the place where the energy is happening. You basically like, open yourself up to good luck. Yeah, dude. Luck doesn't exist, bro. It's all about Repetition of energy. I agree. Yeah. When I when I say good luck, I, I what I actually mean is um, basically putting yourself in the path of opportunities that wouldn't come to you otherwise, just because you're not there, dude. If I hadn't moved to LA when I was 21, I don't think I would have been in the action because I wasn't getting any progress from being in a remote location. You know, like there's not much of a music scene in Lake Tahoe or Carson City, so like. By moving to LA, I was able to be accessible and make myself accessible and be of use to the people that I knew I wanted to plug in with. And just being around those crowds for a long period of time, you start to kind of like, you know, become, you're slowly injecting yourself into those circles. Another thing that, you know, Colin talked about, I just wanted to briefly say is like a big part of being a musician, I think, is having respect for the genres. And I think that like, if you go straight into just like, all right, I'm going to download some shit off Splice and like, I'm going to make, I'm going to obsess over this sound design. And like, you know, you got dudes who are like, I'm going to make hip hop beats because I'm listening to fucking Young Dolph and I just like it and I want to do that, right? And that's inspir- like that's where the inspiration comes in. But then I feel like where you kind of have to stray a little bit is get rid of the that 
programming that you have that you've been taught to just like obsess over sounds and learn when to step back and say, this is good, this is done, and I'm going to get more work done and and not just like spend all this time working on sounds, kind of like what you were saying, Colin. It's like you can do that until you're blue in the face, but it's not going to be conducive to your operation if you're trying to get work out there. So just learning when to kind of say, this is finished, and like not obsessing, figuring out that self-discipline and finding the line and the balance between finished product and like when you know you're kind of just being in your own head. Well, I think that a lot of times when people do that, when they go down those rabbit holes, there comes a point where they're either making it worse or just different, but not better. Yeah. Totally. It's like a yeah. painter painting on top of paint, painting yeah. on top of paint, yeah. painting yes. on top of paint. Yeah, and I, I would say to add to that, you, you've got to... It, I think a lot of that comes down to to insecurity and fear. So, like when you when you finish something, I'm a, I'm a finishing producer. So, and and not every producer does that. Just so everybody knows, there's there's some people who are do more writing and starting of ideas, and then there's guys who Me. who do Nick, yeah. Nick yeah. Nick is great at that. He he's got always twenty times more yeah, ideas than I have. And I'll go, I'll go, I'll go, yeah, yeah, bring the clothes in. Sounds like Ricky Vaughn, baby, wild thing. (laughs) It sounds like, it sounds crazy, but, but, you know, you, when you close something out, okay, and you finish it and you send it out, okay, there, the next step, right, is always judgment. Somebody is going to be judging that. Somebody's going to be giving you feedback, right? Putting it online, sending it to your manager, sending it to the artist, whatever, label it's going you're going to hear some feedback and you're either going to like that feedback or you're not going to and when what people do especially young and experienced producers they always or or shitty producers who don't get a lot of work they f- obsess over details forever and then they their output is way drastically limited because I dude I send shit out all the time that gets fucking knocked down all the time. Yeah, and Jimmy Iovine fucking dropped Lady Gaga. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. you can be the most, like, you could yeah. be a huge pop star, and it might just not be the time yet. You might just be right on the cusp of something, and pe- somebody could tell you, like, I don't see it. Yeah, and, I mean, Jacoby's got some stories about that. Yeah, dude, we, we were doing uh, our album Getting Away With Murder, and uh, at the time, we had just gotten shuffled from DreamWorks over to Geffen, and uh, that was part of the Universal family. And uh, Iovine was at the top of that chain. And we finished our record and we turned in the song Scars of ours. And Jimmy Iovine was like, ah, I don't really hear it. I feel like you guys need to go re-record it and make it sound more like it's been a while. And I was just like, what? Huh? <laughs> you know, and so we went in and we were willing to give the exercise a shot. And so they paid for us to go back in the studio with Howard Benson and we did this and we wrote, it just turned into the worst piece of average white guy rock I've, I've ever heard <laughs> in my life. And it was just like, we turned it in and we're like, here, well, here, in my mind, I'm like, here's this fucking turd. If this guy likes this, I don't know what the fuck is going to happen. And uh, he, tur- he, he turned around right after I heard it. And he's like, nope, the original, well, that's where we're going. The original, <laughs> you guys were onto something. And so sometimes it's like going through those exercises out of respect for you know, yeah, exactly. Somebody else's opinion. It's healthy to do. And sometimes you win and sometimes you don't. And in that one, it's like P. Roach, we won. Our original version was the one and we turned around and sold a million and a half records um, for those guys on that album. And, And that was a really, that was a turning point in our career was us 
you know, being willing to play the game, but then knowing while we're playing the game going, this is horse shit. Dude, you know what that says to me is that like you create with an open mind. So you're having an open mind about what it is that you're doing and, and the feedback you're getting, mm -hmm. but you're not letting it dictate your art. You're just yeah. like, okay, cool. And if it, if by having an open mind, yeah. the result is better by the feedback you're getting, then obviously you're going to be like, okay, cool, great call. But if it isn't, I mean, you know, it's it's nice to at least be like, we enter we entertained it, you know? you always I always feel better about that. Yeah, I have a theory that no matter what people on the outside hear about bands or artists, in reality, if they've stuck around a long time, they've got to know how to work with other people, which involves taking their ideas and at least trying them, uh, figuring out, compromises and because it takes other people to make anything successful happen in this world. No one can do it alone. Absolutely. Yeah. Got to know how to work with people. Yeah. I totally feel you. It's like being in a band is, is constant compromise, you know, and, and being in relationships, it's constant compromise and it's being willing to hear the other voice in the room pausing and, and allowing somebody else to interject and try what they got, you know, and I think that that's important and for us, we've grew up, you know, making records in a room together and just throwing ideas out there all the time and always being willing to, to, to hear each other's voice. And, and that's where the progress happens because if it was just, you know, one person making, calling all the shots in the band, it just, it wouldn't be fun, you know? And so it, sometimes it's torture. Sometimes I'm like, fuck, I, I gotta hear you again. Give me a fucking critique. But it's like, there, you got to have some humility. That's that's a big part of it. You guys have said fun a lot in this interview and well, podcast. Yeah. And I want to just say that I can actually hear it in the music you guys have done together. Like it actually sounds like you guys had fun in the studio. And I'll add to that. I, there was something really special about the record we're working on right now, the the album we're working on right now. It's been a gauntlet of an album because there's so many songs and we keep, writing shit that's that's even better. Yeah. And uh, but we started this process in the middle of a pandemic and we all thought, okay, how are we going to do this? So like the first thing everybody thought was, you know what? Let's not just go to LA and write because normally it's like we come down, we write in my studio or whatever for a month or two and then we go, you know, track it either at the same studio or somewhere else. And we were like, let's break this up because there's no touring right now, there's no hard deadlines. Let's just do this in a different way. So we we rented this this massive house, like man, mansion like house in Temecula for like three weeks, three and a half weeks in August. And we got uh we got uh Jacoby's brother Bryson, who's a great videographer, and uh, uh Tuan, who's uh Tobin's brother, who's who's our yeah, um our friend Nick, who's a, who's like a chef, he made us food every day, and we have my engineer Kevin. You know Kevin McCombs, who's oh, yeah. by the way just yeah. the Shout fucking out Kevin. the G yeah. dude. Tits, dude. Kev's the tits, man. We love you, bro. Yeah, Kevin, dude. Kevin's the man. And uh, we had Kevin. We have our friend Michael Nolasco, who was guitar teching. We had uh, we had a, a crew um, Michael, that another, we all got tested. Person. Dude, Michael, yeah. dude, let me just say real quick, Michael Nolasco has been the fucking coolest motherfucker this dude, year. Michael is definitely hands down one of the most like hardworking and just amazing, level-headed, good dude, 
great energy to have in the room. He was one of my favorite parts of like yeah. the trip of having, he was like a new- Dude, and he, just, and he just shows up. Like he didn't ask to get paid. He just showed up and he's just been hanging out, learning and like he's, got, he's all over this record. So, but my point is, is that we're saying that like we started that process out like getting out of LA, getting out of our box and just writing music with friends. And it just like kickstarted the energy of this album was just way higher than even the last two. And like the amount of fun that we all had, like Nick brought his electric dirt bike we were riding around. Like, you know, we had our boy Brandon Seller from um, Atreyu came down and hung out. Like, do we, we just like, it was just the whole, and then we came back to LA and then we, you know, spent a couple months like tracking it, like properly tracking it, which is always fun for me, you know? And then now we're here in, in, Slow. Also, simultaneously, while they were tracking like guitars and drums, Jacoby and I would like run over to their Airbnb in North Hollywood and be like, they had a projection screen in the living room. So we would pull the projection screen down and put on Mission Impossible and watch Tom Cruise running and just write (laughs) lyrics to some of the songs while Tom Cruise was running. It was awesome. Man, there's a lot. There's a lot of him running to write to. Dude, if you Google Tom Cruise running, it's like put it on loop and then just. Put some rock music on, like you're in the room with us, essentially. We, we also had like another time when we put David Byrne, or was it? Yes, was it was it? the same night. Yeah, it was. The, so we had the Talking Heads playing. We we watched them play a live show, and David Byrne's just running around the stage like he's like just going crazy and being possessed. And we turned on one of the, it was unglued, right? Or no, it was was something. No, it was unglued. And it was the same tempo of the song that he was dancing to. And it was all lining up. And we were like, you know, when (laughs) moments are like that, it's like, it's just, it's like a God shot to me. It's like, yo, you're in the room with the right people doing the right thing. And and we've had a lot of moments in in that, that relate to that in this process. Especially in the last three months. Yeah, absolutely. And like, also, we, we did a record called The Paramore Sessions, and it was inspired by the Red Hot Chili Peppers living in the Houdini Mansion. We wanted to go live in the Houdini Mansion and make a record. Slipknot was there, so we went to this place called The Paramore and holed up and did that experience. And it had been a long time since we did that, and so when we linked up on this record going to Temecula, it was just, it was the call. It was, and it was just, the brotherhood was strong, and this was our third album working together. And so we really, there wasn't any like more, I guess, discovery with each other, because it was like the brotherhood was strong. Absolutely. And it was like we rolled in confident, and like we knew what we were there to create. And it was just, from the first night kickoff, it was just, it was, it was, it was energy high. Yeah. High energy level yes. the whole time. And, you know, like even if the band doesn't, isn't willing to, to go out, I think it's important for like the producer or somebody who's in the creative seat to be out of their comfort zone for some of something of the project. Like the day to remember album that I just did last year, um, I went to Florida for three months you know what I mean? And because the band really wanted to stay in their yeah, home. I remember. And that was cool because that was like, for me, that was, I was out, I was just excited to be there. I was like, wow, I'm fucking in a new place. It's a new thing. And I was new blood for them. And we had totally new instruments. And those guys probably looked at me like I was fucking insane because I was, <laughs> you know, like, for example, we did this one thing. Uh, Jeremy bought a Steinway piano because we found one for like, hella cheap and so I remember recording I was like man I want this sound to sound this guitar thing to sound like a machine gun so you know we went and I took a quarter and played the piano note 
on a fucking literally on the piano like with a quarter inside like piano. inside the piano so like, like picking the piano string picking the piano string yes, yes. with a quarter we recorded it and then I chopped it up to make the riff and then we sent it back out through like a distorted bass amp and it becomes this guitar amp machine gun that plays underneath the riff and we did that all over the place and the guys just kept going man this is so fun like that we're doing this and everybody and again like shit like that just you know, artistically, that's what I do. I love experience. I love experiencing things like that and trying new things. And the band gets excited by that, and then they get more inspired. And then Jacoby, yeah. let me tell you a story know. real quick. So this is when I knew that we were awesome, real shit. So I roll in the studio. It's probably like one o'clock in the morning. Fucking Jerry's playing guitar. Nick is twisting a pedal, and Colin's over there, like, twisting two other pedals at the same time to create this one moment, right? This one moment for this guitar part, and I was just like, now this is fucking rock and roll. Like, yeah. this is exciting to me. And it's like, I wasn't, I wasn't doing anything but just sitting there witnessing this moment, and, and I was like, That's, those are the moments that make this thing special. And it's like, we were riding in the car last night to go get dinner, and people ask me all the time, like, yo, like, what is it, why, what's special about being in the studio or what's special about making music? And I'm like, the, one of the most sacred moments to me is after we get done writing and recording a song, it's like the moments that we get to listen to this music together before anybody else in the world gets to experience it. It's just that raw, pure, like, fuck yeah. Like we created something together that's I can't wait to, I want to listen to it again. I want to listen to it again. It's like and it, Christmas morning energy. Yeah, it's just, yeah, I love it, man. Christmas morning energy, for sure. Do you think that sometimes people in music let themselves get too jaded about this stuff rather than finding ways to be stoked? Yes. Yeah, man. I mean, yeah, how many jaded, I mean, so how many weird. jaded musicians, I, I hate that word, by the way. Like, it's, it's, it's jaded a- Jaded on jaded? It's just one of those things where I hear that where, and I see that in like, it's a scummy word and I feel like it's in, I feel, it's a good point you bring that up though. But you've seen it, you know what I'm talking about. Oh yeah, no, 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 it's a fine, it's a fine, it's a fine word. It just means it, what it represents is defeat because it's not jaded, jaded shit is defeat. It's, and, and I've been, you know, just like anybody at a high level in music business, it, this can be a scummy business and, you know, people are, can be mean and bad and judgmental or whatever. But like, if you let just in your life in general, if you let that kind of energy affect you adversely, you have already lost. Yeah. And, and it's always comes from a place of fear. And I just don't believe in, in that kind of fear. And I see that happen when I read the URM Facebook posts. I, mean, I occasionally see somebody use that word. They're like, maybe I'm just jaded, but this and this and this. And I'm just like, dude, what the fuck are you jaded for? Like, just go, are you not enjoying it? Like, if you're not enjoying this to begin with, and again, every day, I don't wake up every day just like the stokedest that I'll ever be. That's not how I operate. And not because I'm human, but I do like, I'm almost every day stoked as fuck because I'm like, I can't believe, I was talking, I was texting Overall, you on the way yeah. over here, I remember, and I was just like, yo, I, I can't believe that they're paying me to do this. Like, yeah. literally, that's how I feel. And I, And if you don't feel that way, then you're either in the wrong business or move and do something else, shake it up and do something else that gets you stoked. Because what the fuck are you going to, everybody going to die one day. Like, why are we doing this? I have a friend, you know, another guy that I know, his jadedness kind of stemmed from 
it's similar to like what you're talking about, a lack of being stoked about what he was doing. And that didn't really necessarily mean, because he was successful too. He was successful at it. It wasn't like he was getting turned down on jobs. He was getting the work. He just wasn't excited about the music he was making. And I think some of that just kind of had to do with the way, like, the, like maybe his thinking or maybe he had the some personal life shit himself. going on. Or, exactly. Or like Whoa. maybe his lifestyle. Maybe he was depressed because he's not going outside or exercising or eating well. You know what I mean? There's so many elements. But like to just accept that you don't feel good so that's just the way it is. If you're not – like anytime I feel jaded so to speak – it's just because my shit's not firing, dude. Like the I don't the cylinders aren't firing and I'm jaded because I'm frustrated that I'm not working at a level that I know I'm capable of. So in those moments, I try to find my inspiration outside of the studio. I try to go live my life a little and don't allow the pressures of being creative or being first or being successful plague my mind while I just get some like a little bit of freedom from that stress, you know? Yeah, if if you're not, dude, if you're not, like, really stoked about what you're doing, like, if you don't believe in yourself, okay, and, and really believe in yourself, and you have to be stoked to believe in yourself, let's be honest. Like, yes. if, if you don't really believe in yourself, you're fucking done. Like, the deck, the deck is way too stacked already. Like, it's already way too competitive to if you're already against yourself yeah. and you add all the freaking real shit in there too, like, dude, just, you're done. Yeah, like, what happens if you write a bad song? Well, you know what I mean? Like, if you don't have confidence to tell yourself to keep getting up after you get knocked down or to keep getting up even though you don't want to, you know what I mean? It's like, you might write a bad song and talk yourself out of writing a great song because that's the next song, you know? And it's just good to, like... Not do that. Don't listen to all this bullshit and don't listen to your brain fuck with you. Like Rick Rubin had an interesting quote the other day and it was like, it was actually really rang strong with me, which was, he said like for every piece of, of critique, and I'm paraphrasing, so for every piece of critique that you get, the opposite is also po possibly equally as true. Absolutely. So like if somebody says that you have a bad song, it also might be that that's just not the right person. That's what I took from it. And that listen to it. Now, that's not saying that like, you know, every song you write is going to be good yeah. at all. It's also all. just one person's opinion. Yeah, know? it's just what it's, it's it, an exactly. It's an object. Art is so objective. So like whoever perceives it as whatever. Subjective, you mean. Subjective, excuse me. Yeah, sorry. Um, whoever perceives it as whatever, they're entitled to do so. And that means that people might hate what you do. I'm sure that there's plenty of people who like, don't prefer the music that I work on or don't really prefer to listen to my music. And I'm totally okay with that. Yeah. Because I I have an open mind to the reality that other people have different tastes, you know? It, and, takes, it takes a pair of balls to really put yourself out there into the stage of the world. Absolutely. You know, and it's like- It does. We, we all three of us, we're all willing to do that. And it's like, I'm willing to get mud thrown in my face and I'm willing to bleed for this and- and suffer for it at times because it's like, it's worth it. But it also, really is. When you get feedback, something that I like to do is just like kind of analyze that feedback and take from it what you think benefits to you personally. Just because someone gives you feedback or gives you advice doesn't necessarily mean that it's always going to apply to you or be beneficial to what it is that you're trying to do. So 
just kind of take bits and pieces. Don't verbatim listen to everything that you're told. Be very like mindful of that you're trying to create something as yourself. So it's good to take and learn lessons from people along the way, but you don't want to be a replication of all these things I, into one. I think, like, I think that applies with good feedback as well. Like First, That's exactly if you good be, and bad. If you believe all the good stuff, you kind of got to believe all the bad stuff too. So I think it's good to take all of it with a grain of salt. Or just ask yourself the questions, right? If somebody says like, man, I don't think that this hook's like it. I, I just don't think the chorus is catchy enough or it's not right. Ask yourself the question. Be like, hmm. Is it not right? What's not right about it? How could I make this better? Let me go back and maybe take a second look at it and try it. And if it's not better, then I know, well, my initial idea works better for me. I mean, what else can you do, right? You got to put your shit out there. Here's Absolutely. here's what else you can do. You can just you can you can wrap it up and either bury it and yeah. burn the hard drive or <laughs> yeah, <laughs> burn the hard drive. Or you could do that. Yeah. Or or you can put it out in the universe and move the fuck on. And I'll say this too: those people, for those of you who are are you know get a fucking gold single or whatever, and think your shit don't stink, and like get high off of that, or even even get high off of. It's okay to celebrate successes, but. The same is true opposite for like five minutes. You yeah. you can you can get the same is true opposite though is like if you're too you know if you get caught up on the negative feedback, yeah. that means you care too much about what everybody else is saying. But also the opposite is true if you get too high on the positive feedback, that's equally as destructive I think because then you wind up craving other people's feedback. Like that's you craving that praise. That's insecurity, and insecurity does not make good music, period. So based on what you were saying earlier about people uh, being afraid of deadlines um, or judgment, actually, um, do you think that that's why they never get stuff done because they keep trying to push that judgment back? 100%. That is why. That's the only reason. Like anything to not ask out the girl. That's the only, that's, that's literally, that's literally the only, in, as far as I see it, again, this is one man's opinion, so take it for what you will, but like, in my opinion, that is the underlying, if you strip, peel back all the layers, that is the underlying, for anything, not even in music, but just any lack of action is, is always rooted in fear of judgment from other people. If uh, in, uh, yeah, yeah, but which is judgment, right? right? Your fear of fear of other people's judgment. So if you can kind of like clear that out and silence that out and then filter people's objective opinions and then do what feels right to you. And then, yeah, like you put something out and it doesn't fucking work. And it's like, cool. Why did that not work? Was it because the band wasn't big enough and because we just didn't have enough people push it. I've had songs that I thought were really great that didn't get the love because, you know, not every song is a viral song. And if some, some songs require a label pushing it and maybe the label didn't do the job or maybe whatever, whatever, they, but you can't get hung up on any of those things. You just go make a new song. Dude, yep. Yeah, and I also feel like a lot of times with, with new artists, the thing that I feel like a lot of people have talked about in this conversation is that pressure of like, Fuck, I gotta have like the thing, it's gotta be the best. I gotta get out there, I gotta get successful, da 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 da. And they don't take the time to do any development of their themselves or their their tools, you know? So it's just a constant rat race instead of trying to sit down, take your time, be a little bit patient with yourself and your art. And you know, like sometimes I think 
people forget that they can take a couple years to develop something. And once you're cracking, once you get a hit, (laughs) then you can be like on the money. And like every day at the studio, we got to get more stuff going. We got to have a release schedule, blah, blah, blah. But in the beginning stages, it's okay to put something out as a feeler and see what people think about it. Get some feedback, start building a fan base, and then gradually just keep releasing things as tests and, and get feedback that way. You know what I mean? It's like that's then you're building an audience and you're getting that praise or the feedback, the critiques from a natural organic audience. Yeah, I feel like I feel so fortunate to be able to have come up in the time that I came up in back in the in the 90s because it was like we just had to slug it out in the trenches. You know, we were in the rehearsal space. We were rehearsing in a meat locker for a while. And that was that was it, man. It was like we would just write a song and rehearse it 15 times over. Then we would go play shit tons of shows in these little dive places. And, you know, we'd have great shows. And then we'd have shows where we're, I remember this one time we handed out our cassette cassette EP deals to the fans before we played. And as we're playing, they're throwing our fucking cassettes back <laughs> at us, you know? And That's like, so sick. Yeah, and we're, I was willing, I was bold enough and brave enough to just get up there and deal with that. Cause I'm like, you know what? I fucking believe in this yep. and that's what fucking matters. Exactly. And it's like, I, I think that you got to be able to like toughen up a little bit if you're going to be in this business because it's not always just rad. I think the public kind of, there's always like a hazing that goes into any artist who's especially like interesting and very individually themselves. There's like this public hazing that always occurs where people just want to fucking hate you because they can't figure you out. I'm cool with that. I'm good with that. But then they'd eventually like the more that you're consistently yourself the more eventually I feel people come around and they're like, I fuck with that dude because he's just himself or that. Yeah. That woman. People respect, respect longevity. longevity. Exactly. Hell yeah. And, and genuine, like genuineness, just yep. being genuine. Yeah. yeah. And it, and it does take, it does take a lot of work. I mean, let's be real about that. Like for, for me, it was two years solid in my little room in North Hollywood trying to, I was mixing Japanese artists I was always a producer and a musician and a writer. That was always my thing. Mixing was not my thing. And then I was like, you know what? Fuck it, dude. I'm going to I'm gonna just figure this out. I'm going to figure this out. Make it my thing. He's like one of the best mixers, yeah. I, if not the best, that I personally know and choose. But like... For him to say that, that's... I, but the dude, like, I, I love you, by the way. But, like, but, listen, I it really did take... It took two years of sucking ass in that space, specifically mixing. This is a sub-genre or sub-space of where I already was. And then All Time Low was the first one that where the label goes, you know what? Well, actually, like we were going to pay like a hell of a lot of money to do this, but I, the band is actually really stoked with the shit that you're doing. And I was like, wow. I remember it. I was like, fuck, okay. Two years of like year and a half of just grinding every fucking day. And trying and trying and trying and trying and getting knocked down and taking shit gigs that you didn't didn't pay much or like working for Japanese artists that I didn't understand what they were saying and you know just weird stuff and I was like and now I'm fucking mixing the bands that I fucking respect and love and people are like oh well, you know how did you do that and I'm like people forget like they look at you and they'll be like oh well you've got gold records all over your well, fucking wall. They see wall. the result. They don't see what went into yeah, it. Yeah, and I'm like, okay, yeah, dude, but like check it out. I fucking literally literally I was living for an entire year at, on the couch in my studio cuz I couldn't afford an apartment oh, in a studio. Yeah. On my oh, yeah. studio 
I was showering every day at 24 hour fitness because we didn't have a shower at the studio. That's why you don't see the blood, sweat, and tears. Yeah. You shower. Yeah. <laughs> I washed them all down the 24 the 24 hour fitness shower drain. <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing. Totally. Yeah. So like that's that's a real story. And that's like, you know, and dude, like going to our friend Zach Savini, you know, like he kind of had the same shit working for John Feldman forever, you know, like, and now he's mixing Bring Me the Horizon and Danny Elfman and shit. And it's just like you know, we're in company with all those dudes who were fucking, and that's again, going back to my statement about living in LA, like those guys are my homies and Nick Long, our friend Nick Long, yeah. um, who is actually the guy responsible for bringing me to LA in the first place. You know, he's playing with Machine Gun Kelly on twenty on uh, Saturday Night Live and wrote his entire album and has now written multiple platinum records and one of the best songwriters we know. And I'm watching all of my homies that and my buddy Stevie from 30 Seconds to Mars is now a full member of 30 Seconds to Mars. Like my boy Tommy English, he's fucking, you know, producing Fits in the Tantrums. And like I'm watching all these dudes that I came up with who are like my age that are are just living their fucking dream. Yeah. And I'm living my dream and we're all running on this road next to each other and we're all doing our own shit. And it, a lot of times we don't work together on necessarily everything or anything for that matter. But it's like, you just look over and you guys are all still here. Well, you and are you're the like, company shit. you keep, you know? So it's just, I've, I feel really, really fortunate to Dude, be here for that. I love what you just said though about like you are the company you keep. The biggest takeaway I feel like from any you know, anybody listening is that don't isolate yourself off from other people because you can learn so much. I've learned so much from being around people like Zach and Colin and Jacoby and Andrew Goldstein or Nick Long. You know, it's like these people all have a different way that they go about things. And I have so much respect for it. And watching them succeed is so gratifying to me, yeah. at least because I'm like, man, these people I actually have a relationship or a friendship with them. And and to see them living their dream and succeeding is amazing. But also knowing that, like, at one point I've learned from being in the room with one of these people, I, I've taken away so much value and just the relationship of being yeah. in the same room. Dude, I mean, Nick Long told me one day, he goes, you know, by the way, he's got one of the greatest, like, baritone voices I've ever heard for, on, a, on a guy. And one time he, he, he looked at me and he goes, man, he's like, you know, you got a really cool low voice. You should use that more. And literally the other day, yesterday, yeah. <laughs> Jacoby's like, I can't sing that, it's too low. And I'm like, let me try it. And like, I sang the part and it freaking helped make the part right. And I wouldn't have had that without Nick Long years ago. I wouldn't have known that. I wouldn't have even known that about myself. You know, you got to have other people. He just pointed something out and, and I, from a guy I respect and I like his taste. And I was like, fuck man, okay, like maybe, all right. Like that's a tool that I didn't know I had. And you know, when you, the opposite, by the way, of all this is being jaded. Yes. The devil's yes. advocate of here is so like the attitude of like, you see all your friends succeeding and maybe some of them, I mean, Zach's, Zach is freaking out of here. He's on another stratosphere. He's right. doing some incredible stuff. Like the jaded attitude of that would be, well, fuck, me? fuck, man. Like, I'm, I'm not doing that. Like, fuck, like, I fuck that guy. Like, I'm just, I don't like what he does. You know what I mean? Like, that's the attitude. That's poisonous. When you see that shit, you got to just nip that shit in the bud immediately. I completely agree. I want to thank you guys for coming on. It's been fucking awesome talking to the three of you. Um, I'm glad we got to do this. I know it was last minute and kind of a short episode, but I enjoyed it nonetheless. And uh, it was really cool. Thank you guys. Okay, then. 
another URM podcast episode in the bag. Please remember to share our episodes with your friends as well as post them to your Facebook, Instagram, or any social media you use. Please tag me at ALEVY URM Audio. And of course, please tag my guests as well. Till next time, happy mixing. You've been listening to the Unstoppable Recording Machine Podcast. To ask us questions, make suggestions, and interact, visit urm.academy and press the podcast link today.